This is Daryl Wood, host of Run to Win, the Daryl Wood Show on Faith Talk 1500. First, let me say this show is your show. That's why no matter what I discuss or which guests I interview, your input is valued. If it's in the news, on TV, or at the movies, whether political, social, economic, or whatever, at some point I'm talking about it on Run to Win, the Daryl Wood Show, Monday through Thursday from 4 to 6 p.m. on Faith Talk 1500. Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Hey, wait a minute. What's the name of your church? Real Life Christian Church. Real life. Get real with another edition of Think About It. Real life messages from Pastor Dennis Rasper from Real Life Christian Church. And now, let's listen to the message from Pastor Rasper. You guys know the gospel. The word gospel means good news, John 3.16. You know John 3.16. Let's begin there. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not, have, should not perish but have everlasting life. The very simple gospel, you go to stadiums and you see that draped over the, over the stands. And see, that's the positive approach. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The negative approach is this. If you trust yourself and you don't trust Jesus Christ, you will spend forever in hell apart from God. That's the negative approach. But I got to tell you, that's very true. That's a true story. But I don't want to approach it negatively. I want to approach it positively. Um, God loved the world so much, he gave. And the Greek word gave for gave means he let go of, he gave up. He surrendered his only son for you and for me. That whoever, whoever believes in him, see, whoever, salvation is available to all you folks. Every, you know, probably people here who think such a sinner that I am. I'm such a sinner. How could God ever receive someone like me? Whoever believes in him won't perish eternally, but have eternal life with our Lord in heaven. See, the positive approach is this. When you receive Jesus Christ, you get to spend forever with him. That's the need approach. That's the wonderful thing. You get to spend forever with him, this side of the grave. You're never going to fear death again. Because the resurrection guarantees, it guarantees your resurrection. Because I live, John 14, you will live also, see. And we'll see today how that resurrection influences how you see life. The resurrection has to influence your whole life. So, so, so folks, what I'm saying is this. Just open your heart to the truth of God's word today and let it sink into your soul and receive it for what it is. And for those of you who don't know Christ, God's inviting you to know him. He wants to give you the best of the best of the best of the best of the best. This is the positive approach. And it's not a big deal either. You look at your life, you look at what you're holding on to, you look at your own personal self-righteousness and you're holding on to it like this and you let go of it. And you understand and you believe and you say to the Father, I believe it, that Jesus Christ died for my sins. I can't offer you anything. I just come to you through Jesus Christ and you confess all your sins and ask him into your life. And I'll tell you, you're going to have a changed life. It's going to be brand new life. Brand new, brand new, brand new, brand new. Your whole life changes. Today we want to look at Luke's gospel, the resurrection account in Luke's gospel. Luke chapter 23, let's begin in verse 44. It was now about the sixth hour, and darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. 
Jesus hung on that cross since nine o'clock that morning. And then it says in verse 45, while I was hanging on the cross, but the sun stopped shining and the curtain of the temple was rent in two. But I don't, you see, this was an eerie darkness that began at noon. And I don't think it was a thundercloud. I just believed the sun stopped shining. That's what God's word says. It's noon and it's like, like God the Father pulled a chain on a light and shut off the sun. And they're lighting torches and they're starting fires just to see. And if I had been there, I think it would have given me the creeps. And here's what that darkness was. That darkness was a steady flow, a river from above of God the Father's just and holy wrath against sin, pouring out on his son and not on you and me. And I got to say, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, because at that moment, sin was judged. And sin was judged in him. And it wasn't judged in me. And man, I hope you guys are saying thank you right now. I hope you're saying thank you, okay? And I see the afternoon gradually lighting up. And by three in the afternoon, it was kind of a hazy, gloomy gray sky like we have so many of them here. When Jesus cried in Luke 44, 46, and he cried. I want you to know this. He cried with a loud voice. This is not submission. This was, this was victory. He cried with a, look, look, look it. He cried with a loud voice. Father, loud voice. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last. And now when he said that, people were gloomy just like the sky. They were very gloomy like the sky because he was dead. On Sunday morning, some of the women who had stood beneath the cross when he died took embalming spices and they went to the tomb. And it was just the right thing to do because he'd been a kind man, he'd been a loving man, he'd been a good man, so it was the right thing to do. But he was not the Messiah. Kind, loving, good, but not the Messiah like he claimed. And so we read in one, verse 1, 24 of um, Luke, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. And they found the stone rolled away. But when they entered, they did not find the body of Jesus. That would that, <laughs> be quite strange to these ladies. And while they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. Now that would blow me away. That gleamed like lightning stood right beside them. And in their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. And then he kind of dug the knife in a little bit and said, remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the son of man must be, de must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified. And on the third day rise again. And the women said, oh, yeah, he did say that, didn't he? So why are we so surprised, see? Matthew's gospel records the same thing, and it tells us these um, ladies left the tomb with mixed emotions. In verse 8, so the women hurried away from the tomb, yet this is Matthew 28, 8, yet the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy. I like that. Afraid, yet filled with joy. Sometimes that happens to you and me. And they ran to tell his disciples, and suddenly Jesus met him, and he said, Greetings, he said. And they came to him, they clasped his legs, his feet, and they worshipped him. And I'm reading this thing, man, I'm really getting into this whole deal, but I'm thinking to myself, these women came out of duty. They came just out of duty. We thought he was the Messiah. He wasn't, but he was a kind man. He never did a mean thing in his life. So let's go and do the right thing. Let's go and embalm him, okay? And they get there and the tomb is empty. Nothing on that cold stone slab. Two gleaming, powerful angels. 
They're on their faces on the ground. And one of the angels said, why do you look for the living among the dead? So the women hurried away from the tomb. They were filled with joy and fear at the same time. And they ran to tell the disciples. Suddenly, they meet Jesus. And he says, greetings. And they clasped his feet. And they worshiped him. Man, they're on their knees in worship. And they clutch his legs. And they never want to let go. See, what's going? you got to get into this. What's going on inside these ladies? Here's what's happening in here. I was aimless when he died. I didn't, you know, when he, I mean, he was my everything. And he died, and I had no idea where my life was going. Then they see this guy, and they say, now I know where my life is going. Now I have purpose. Now I have direction. Folks, what's that mean? What's that worth to get up every day, as mundane as every day might be in your life, and say, now I live every day with purpose. Now I live every day with direction because I know where I'm going. They said, now I have a reason to live and a reason to die. Most of you people knew I grew, grew I, most of you people know I grew up in the Lutheran Church, and I went to um, catechism classes. And I thought about this, and I just went back to the meaning of Jesus' resurrection from the catechism. There are three points, OK? What it means for us. Number one, the resurrection of Jesus Christ proves He is God. All his claims to be God are true, true and true. Only God rises from the death. Men don't rise from the grave. So all this nonsense about Jesus being just a great man, he is true God. Secondly, he rose because God the Father in heaven, excuse me, sent the Holy Spirit to surge life through Jesus' dead body. And the Spirit came, and Jesus' heart began to beat, 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 beat 65 times a minute. His blood pressure was 120 over 80. He was breathing. His cholesterol was about 150 over 75. And I don't know if any of that's true, but it all sounds very healthy to me. <laughs> He was very much alive. And when the Father put the life back in his son, Jesus Christ, God the Father was saying, it's enough. He was saying, I accept, I accept as a total perfect sacrifice for the sins of the people, your perfect life, your innocent suffering, and your death. I accept that. And God the Father was saying this, it's enough. It's sufficient. It's finished. And man, this is maybe the most important thing about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, when the Father raised him from the dead. Because when the Father raised Christ from the dead, it was like his stamp of approval. You've done, when he sent the Holy Spirit to surge life through Jesus' body, it was God the Father saying, it is enough, and you and me can't add one thing to what Jesus did. It was absolutely enough. And folks, i got to tell you, man, if we think that we can add, look how Christ suffered. And if you and me think we can add one thing, one thing to what he did, that's almost like slapping God in the face. That's an insult. And so when God raised him from the dead, he said, it's enough. And here's the third thing. The resurrection proves we're going to live again. The Holy Spirit inspired the Apostle Paul to write it a whole lot better than I do. And so Easter Sunday would not be Easter Sunday without looking at 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, 14. Listen to this. And if Christ has not been raised from the dead, Paul says our preaching, all our preaching and all our teaching is useless. And so is your faith. Then jump down to verse 18. Then those who also have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. Fallen asleep means died in Christ, died a believer. You know, if Christ isn't raised and those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost, well, would you look at verse 19? If only for this life we have hope in Christ. In other words, if Christ is only good for this life, we are to be pitied 
more than all men. You're there to meet my need, Jesus. You're there to bless me. But when I am dead, I'm dead. And if that's how you think, he says, you are to be pitied more than all men. But then you get to this powerful passage in 20. In 20 of 1 Corinthians 15, this may be the greatest resurrection passage. He says, but Christ has been raised from the dead. And that is God's word. And God doesn't lie. But Christ has indeed, indeed, I forgot indeed, man, for Christ has indeed, that makes it emphatic, been raised from the dead. The first fruits, what's that? The guarantee. Whenever you see first fruits in the New Testament, just substitute the word guarantee. The first fruits, the guarantee of those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. I love this. 1 Corinthians 15, 55. Paul is addressing death. Nobody looks death in the face, eye to eye, nose to nose, and talks to death like this. Paul did. God inspired this. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? You have no victory. And then he says, where, O oh, death, is your sting? I'm not afraid of you. And then he says in verse 56, the sting of death is sin. That's what leads to death. The power of sin is the law. But then he says, thanks be to God who gives us, 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 and us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And all glory to him. And so, man, we got to think like winners. So what's the resurrection mean? Number one, he's truly God. Don't accept this nonsense that he is only a man. Jesus told the Pharisees, unless you believe that I am he, you will not see life. you got all these religions out there who believe that Jesus is a wonderful man, a great man, a great man, a great man, a great man, but not God. They're not going to heaven you got to believe he is who he is. He is truly God. Because normal people don't rise from the dead. Only God does that. Secondly, he did it all. We we dare not add a thing to what he did. Because if if you think you can add something to what Christ did, you're playing with death. You're playing with forever death. You're slapping God in the face. You're insulting him. And thirdly, and because he lives, so will you. I thought about this a long time. The resurrection has to develop an attitude in us. Because most of my life is my attitude, how I see people and how I see things. Your attitude is the lens through which you see life. You see a circumstance or a person through negative lenses, you're going to treat that person negatively. You see your circumstances through negative lenses, man, you're just going to moan and groan and plod your way through that whole thing. That if you see it through positive lenses, if you see a person through positive lenses, you're going to think differently about them and you're going to treat, treat them differently and you're going to handle your circumstances totally differently. It all has to do with your attitude and the resurrection has to shape your attitude, see? Folks, please hear me. You work at your attitude. Good attitudes don't just happen. If you're negative about somebody, you've got to discipline yourself. You've got to train yourself. You, I'm serious about that, man. That is a discipline. The resurrection is going to shape your attitude, but you have to work at shaping your attitude. If you've got a bad attitude towards somebody, you're thinking bad thoughts about them. And what we, what we need to do is we need to displace those bad thoughts with good thoughts. And you have to think like that about the resurrection. You have to think, I am going to live again. I will be with the Lord forever. It's how you think. It's attitude. I have committed my life to Jesus Christ, and no circumstance will ever take that away. No matter what God allows into my life, you tell yourself, this is temporary. Friday's over. Sunday's coming. It's all how you see it. Everything is how you see it. 
you know, attitude is something you got to work at. You know, how you act and react, what you say, will depend on how you think, how you see people, how you see situations. And you have to practice thinking. There is a purpose. There is a reason. And the reason you can do that is because of Easter, Resurrection Sunday. That's how you bring this whole Easter thing down to life. Death is beaten. The ultimate bad thing in your life, in my life, is defeated. Your life is moving toward a forever life with Jesus Christ. And God the Father will, while you live this life, as you're moving toward forever life, and this is a great thing, will move. He will move every detail of your life to fit in with his plan and his purpose. And that's good. And that's Romans 8. And you guys all know this. Romans 8, 28. It's so easy to quote. You know it, but do you believe it? While you're moving toward eternity, you're you're a child of God. Everything you're going through, it's how you see it, how you think about it, is working to fit in with his purpose. And we know that in all things, I got that circled, baby. In all things, God works for what? For the good. For the good in all things. You know it, bet you don't believe it. Easy to quote. Because you don't live it, man. You gotta you gotta internalize this thing. But man, this is a true story. As you're moving toward eternity in all things, God is working for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. And if you believe in Jesus Christ, you love him, you've been called according to his purpose. Good stuff. But you have to train yourself, tell yourself that. You know what you you gotta say, stop. Before I get all down and defeated, you talk to yourself and bitter, and bitter is an awful word, an awful word, you say, what's really going on here? Is God out of the picture? And you keep telling yourself, please, please, please learn to tell yourself. For a believer in Jesus Christ, there is no such thing as meaningless, purposeless suffering. Never. God's working through that whole deal. You learn to ask yourself. In every circumstance, isn't my eternal life a done deal? Friday is over, Sunday's just around the corner, and this is all in the book of Colossians, chapter 1. This is one of those hidden passages. I just read it one day, and I said, wow, never caught that before in my life. So easy to pass over. Colossians chapter 1, and this is verse 4. I'll read in 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. We thank God for you because, verse 4, we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints. So Paul's heard all this good stuff about the Colossian Christians, about their faith, their bold faith, the love they have for all the people, all the saints, all the believers. Now look at verse 5. The faith and love that spring from what? What nurtured that faith and that love? What nurtured that? Verse 5. The faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven. Don't you see what's going on here? These people could dream big dreams. I mean, they could, um, they had a great faith. They could face anything. And they could love people. They could face all this stuff. 
And, and they could see possibilities because they had great faith. And they could love everybody. They could even love people who didn't love them back. Why? Because they knew where they found they, they knew where they were going. Because of the faith, the hope, the hope, the hope, the certain hope that is stored up for you in heaven. That's where your life is going. That certain hope that guaranteed life forever was the driving force of their life. And that is all attitude. And you got to pray every day, Father, by your spirit, work in me to have that certain hope in my heart every day and let it influence and affect everything I do. you got to tell yourself, Jesus Christ was a winner and I'm a winner. Listen, you can be a dragger down or a picker-upper, okay? And the more you reflect in your attitude, hope and victory, the more people are going to pick up on that. And when you're a picker-upper and not a dragger down, you're going to be a blessing. Listen, you can be very negative and drag people down. Oh, this can't happen. Too much money, too much work, too much this, too much that. You're never going to work this out. There's dragger downers. What are you? There's picker-uppers. I'll tell you what a picker-upper is, guys. Your wife comes to you and she says, I don't like my hair today. I do. It's really neat. Why don't you wear it like that more often? See, you just picked her up. A guy at work or a lady at work says, you know, I really don't think I did the right thing or I think I blew it. And you just sit down with them for a minute. I'm serious. This, is, this becomes a way of life. Come on, guys. It becomes a way of life. And you say to them, ah, no, I don't know about that. Look, look, at, maybe this is going to happen. Maybe this is going to happen. Maybe this is going to happen. See? And what you're doing is you are consciously offering hope. And if there's anything we need, folks, it's hope. God's moving. God's working. I want to tell you guys where we're headed. Philippians 3, chapter 20. But our citizenship is in heaven. What does that mean? If your citizenship is in heaven, what does that make you down here? Alien, right? Because you got to have a passport to be down here. Your citizenship is in heaven. Now look at this, man. We eagerly await a Savior from there, from heaven. The Lord Jesus Christ. Are you eagerly? I love that. You eagerly, eagerly, eagerly. You eagerly await a Savior from there. The Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control. Now listen, will transform our lowly bodies so they will be like his glorious body here's another thing about heaven we're going to reign with christ that's revelation 22 5 means we're going to have meaningful responsibility in heaven in heaven and that you're not going to be bored you're going to have meaningful responsibility in heaven that that's going to fulfill us completely you know what i think i believe this that we're going to travel through the entire creation at the speed of thought here's another thing man we'll never struggle with sin you know i fight my flesh guys this is heaven this is victory I fight my flesh every day, every hour, every half hour, every minute, every half minute. I'm in some battle with my fallen sinful nature, and that's all going to be over. See, here's the big thing about heaven. You and me will have transformed wills. Your will is going to be transformed, and there will be no struggle. I battle these struggles every day with my own flesh, my own sins, but with my addictions, my salt addiction. I just, every day, every day, or maybe you battle with anger, or spending what you don't have, or being negative, or moody, or manipulative, or alcohol, or anything. I can't even imagine not struggling with sin, and not struggling with addictions, but you're not going to struggle with a thing. But here's the best. All that's true, but the best deal about heaven is 1 John 3, 2. Dear friends, now, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not even been made, made known yet. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, 
and we're going to see him as he is. You know what that word of God is saying? You're going to be like Christ. You're going to have a body like Christ. You're going to be so intimate and so close to Christ. And there's going to be all those believers for all eternity time in heaven with him. But somehow he's going to be so intimate and so personal with you one on one every day of your existence. And your existence is forever. And just thinking about all that makes, makes me, it has to make us believe I can handle anything. I can make any sacrifice. I want that. That's where I'm headed. His resurrection guarantees me that. Everything in life is moving toward that, toward that direction. Folks, when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, all that's yours. I just got to tell you this. In the last, um, oh, maybe five or six years, I've, um, I've come pretty close to, um, to dying on a couple of different occasions. And I, I, I've had to deal with that. And I, I just thought about, I was thinking about this, how I felt about death. I didn't want to die. And the reason I didn't want to die is because um, I love the people in my life too much. And not just my family, the people here. And I, I said, these people need me. I can't die, God, I can't die. I don't want to die. These people need me. And then I thought to myself, how arrogant I am. And what a put down that is to everything the Bible says about heaven. Because if heaven is really the best, then I'm going to let go. And I thought to myself, if the Lord Jesus Christ can save my pitiful soul from hell, he can certainly take care of the people around me. And I am not indispensable. And heaven is really, 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 truly God's best. I had to work that and come to that conclusion. It really is God's best. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12 the Apostle Paul's talking to Timothy. He says, I know in whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day, meaning the day of resurrection. I love this. He says, he says, he says, I know whom I have believed. Now get this. I am, I am absolutely convinced that he will raise me from the dead because I've entrusted that to him. Think About It is sponsored by Real Life Christian Church. Real Life Christian Church meets in Endeavor Middle School, 22505 26 Mile Road, just west of North Avenue in Ray, Michigan. Sunday service starts at 10 a.m. Visit us on the web at rlcc.us. Never miss a single message from Pastor Rasper. Just go to faithtalk1500.com and download the Real Life Podcast. And until next week, may God's Word do a work in you. Real Life Christian Church. Get real.